you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Live from the Nasdaq market side in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Regional Rec shares of regions financial plunging and taking a good chunk of the sector along with it. Rising rates, mounting expenses taking a toll. How much will bank weakness weigh down the broader markets? Plus, an Apple problem. Reports are parting ways with Jon Stewart over content concerns related to China and AI. Is this problem going to keep dogging tech companies that want to try their hand at edgy creative content? And later, a solar power outage that took down the entire sector today. Oracle's Friday flush, the ripple effect on other software stocks, and the options action on Amazon ahead of the busiest week in earnings. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the Nasdaq on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the regional bank tumble. Regions financial dropping more than 12%. Earnings falling short of estimates, rising yields, mounting expenses, pressuring results. Regions drop rippling through the sector. Shares of Comerica, Western Alliance, Zions Bancorp, Fifth Third also hit hard. The weakness coming as a 10-year continues to hover around 5% for the first time since 2007. That historic jump in yields contributing to broader market volatility. The VIX closing above 21, up more than 12% this week. Markets close the week lower, the Dow falling nearly 290 points today, the S&P and Nasdaq down more than 1%. So as you get set up for the busiest week of earnings season, will rate fears continue to be the driver of the markets? Guy, what do you think? I believe so. We've talked about this. KRE, listen, had a huge bounce off those April lows. I think we got down to 34 and a half, traded up to 48-ish. It's given a lot of it back, and I think it's going to give it all back by the time this is all said and done, and we go back to 34 and a half. Then the fun begins. You know, does it hold in there? Do we bounce again, or is something more nefarious going on? And I guess the good news for the KRE, it's all of these companies are basically 3% of the waiting. Bad news is all the companies are 3% of the waiting, so nobody's been able to take the lead and sort of bail this thing out. They're all in the same bucket right now, and that's not a particularly good place to be. Yeah, so if we're thinking about, like, volatility readings, the VIX closed today above 21. The last time it had a consistent grouping of closes above 21 was back in March when we had regional banks falling. So the fact that we're leading off this show today talking about regional banks making new lows. I mean, Regions Bank is making new lows from its panic sort of March lows. I said to myself, okay, well, where was the 10-year back then? You remember the 10-year in the start of March was 4%. It was on its way to 3.5%. Guy's been talking a lot about flight to quality. We saw that, right? We saw folks going for treasuries back, back then. Back when you could. And back when, <laughs> well, back when you could. Now you can't leave, you know, if you think about it. So we think about where we are right now in the 10-year in and around 5%. The, the Fed funds is, you know, 5.5% in the upper band. All of the stuff that we were worried about banks going under for back in March and April is only worse right now, you know? So that's why bringing it back to the stock market or the broader stock market, you know, VIX at 21, be prepared for a bunch of closes in this, uh, you know, this 20 handle. Here. Well, in the region's um, earnings call is very apparent, and this is the same problem for all the uh, regional banks. Higher for longer means that it's going to be more costly because their customers are going to interest-bearing uh, deposits. And so that's going to go, you know, go for longer in terms of the cost for those deposits. And then also the normalization in terms 
terms of mix because customers are still migrating to those interest-bearing deposits. And the longer rates stay higher, they're saying the longer the normalization process takes place. And so it's it's mm-hmm. more troubling for them. Well, I thought there was a little other uh, wrinkle to it, which was they had some interest rate hedges on yeah. that mm-hmm. cost them, and they're not finished with that cost yet. So I think the net interest income that net interest margin was a big miss yeah. to exactly for your point. Net, non-interest bearing accounts became interest bearing accounts, which is obviously far less profitable. But remember, their short term rates are still high. They can make some spread. But that that so that little wrinkle was a little bit disappointing. Um, they don't seem to have a held to maturity problem. And um, I mean, it wasn't great. <laughs> Expenses were high. That wasn't great. They didn't have some great reasons why they were high. That also wasn't great. And. All, everything else that happened in the market. There was not a lot to not like with, you know, uh, the Middle East situation. You had the speaker thing falling apart again. You had uh, bonds actually were okay, right? But um, I think for like a Comerica, it was, they didn't do terribly. It was just, and they're trying to, I think, be cautious, but it didn't matter. They were all going to be swept up in this, uh-oh, is there a problem again in, right. in regional and, banks? And, and it felt like today there was a problem again. And if you think about, so if, if you know, Guy pointed out that range in the KRE, if we're going anywhere near 34 in the near term, stock market's going a lot lower. We were at 3,900 on the S&P back then. Uh, but, but what were the reasons why these banks had these excessive sell-offs? One is the net interest income for 3Q was down 6.5%. Uh, they forecasted down 5 I guess bad checks are a thing again. Um, apparently, Wasn't I mean, that interesting? That, it's 50 crazy. to 60 I didn't days? Even know. Guy, you still have a couple paper checks sitting yeah. in the drawer. Well, I'm, not saying you're saying you're right. I'm, I'm not saying you're <laughs> right. There's something wrong with it? No, I'm just... Okay, but, but I mean, d- d- yes. I thought that was really interesting because yeah. it yes. was mentioned probably in the first 10 minutes of the, of the call. <laughs> the right? First thing in. out of the gate was this increase in check fraud activity, which was a continuation from the second quarter. Right. Yeah. That wasn't good. I, I, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, I think it really is about the, the profitability of their core business. And I think it, the fact is, uh, you know, we said forever, Tina, there is no alternative. What's what's the, is it Tia now? What do we have? There is an alternative. Mm-hmm. It's a good alternative. So, so there, there, there's there's a lot. There are a lot of alternatives. Um, it, the stock market this week, uh, unfortunately, if you think about it, the last three days of the week, uh, closed on the lows closed below the 200 for really the first time in this run and, and is now down eight and a half percent off of those highs we set on, on August 1st. So um, going into a week, it puts more pressure on Microsoft than ever when we've all pointed out that these guys have been carrying the day and, and it's just a matter of when. Is this a tell, though, as to something bigger that's going to break or that needs to break in terms of the decline in regional banks? Or is this a regional bank problem. The Huntington Bank Shares CEO was interviewed today on CNBC and, and was asked specifically about why the stocks have been just battered. And he said, well, higher rates, the impact on the economy, that's going to be a concern of potentially weakening labor market and also regulatory. So he made it really seem sort of a little bit more specific. Than all, just sort and of- all things we have been discussing here for a while, at some point, all the things you mentioned are going to have an impact on the stocks. It took a lot longer than I thought. Here we are. But is it something worse? I think so. I mean, you listen to what American Express said, Discovery Financial said, Capital One. I mean, you start creating a bit of a narrative here. Well, maybe the consumer's not in as good a shape as we think or the, mar- or the market seems to think they are. We've talked about that for a while. So 
This move in the bond market has not been good for anybody. And if rates start going down in this flight to quality, it's because something really bad is happening in the stock market, not because the bond market just fixed itself magically overnight. Yeah, and we were talking about, you know, small caps for a while now. Small caps closed at a new 52-week low today. They're down 5%-ish on the year, and, and they look uh, technically they look horrible. So when we talk about access to capital and the cost of capital, these are things we've been talking about now for months. And, and so it's manifesting itself right now um, in small cap stocks. I know Carter's coming on in a second, but he was talking about the Russell 3000. We quoted it last night. Half those stocks in that index of 3,000 stocks are below the October 2022 lows, right? So the equal weight S&P now is down 12%, and it's very near its year-to-date lows, that sort of thing. So, you know, the, the price action on many, many sectors and hundreds of stocks in the stock market actually feels like we're in a bit of a bear market. And so when Tim just says it puts all this pressure on Microsoft, remember how Microsoft acted after it was coming off an all-time high into their calendar Q2 report this summer. That really was the top in the NASDAQ. I mean, that was it. So again, I said this last night, if there are any disasters lurking in any of these big large names or just a meaningful deceleration or not just um, evidence of all the excitement that caused those stocks to go up the way that they have, I think the stock market's on its way to being unchanged on the year. That's the S&P. Well, and the equal weighted stock market is, it's down on the year. And and so it gets back to, there is a bear market. Like there's a bear market in a lot of stuff. There's a lot of industrials. I mean, look at the airlines. The airlines are down 30 to 40%. And as someone that believes that their fundamental business outside of oil prices is actually pretty healthy, um, there's been a lot of pain. And, and the retail space where I think you've had uh, you know, the real understanding of where the consumer may be or where the consumer is not yet, but discretionary and apparel that I think are going to be the first. And the market has sold them. It is giving you opportunities. It is interesting. You've seen utilities actually kind of find a bottom. You've seen staples find a bit of a bottom. You've seen healthcare find a bit of a bottom. This is what you do. This is the playbook during times like this. And I, and I think those are some places to after big sell offs in all those spaces. Yeah. Um, if you read the calls and talk, you hear what the CEOs are saying about the consumer, you see all sorts of indications. I don't care what the earnings were, but in terms of what they're talking, how they're talking about the consumer, you know, AXP today was saying that card member credit has continued to deteriorate. Basically, the quality of the credit has continued to deteriorate. A DFS yesterday, very cautioned the consumer, real some stress, especially in the lower and the mid-band of the FICO, store, FICO score stack, Karen. Mm-hmm. And then today with Regions Financial, I mean, you don't get a good picture of how no. the U.S. consumer is doing. Right. It doesn't feel good. Is that what you mean? No, it doesn't feel good. I mean, the only the only positive to say about it is we this this credit cycle is even though we're just getting into it. They're very, very well reserved. Right. So many of these institutions are really well reserved. It doesn't matter, though, in the short term, if those numbers tick up, if those non-performing loans tick up, even if they're covered, um, I think it's going to be hard. You know, who's not well reserved? U.S. government, as it turns out. And that's, one of, and that's one of the many reasons that rates are going higher. So, yeah, banks are, in terms of their balance sheets, they're fine. I'm not worried about the banks necessarily. I mean, in terms of the stocks, they can go lower. It's something more afoot here, and it, it finds itself in the way of the Federal Reserve and the balance sheet of the United States and the fact that the market is demanding a higher yield to buy our debt. Rightly so, by the way. And all the things we talked about, how the consumer... Again, the consumer's fine right now with a 3.7 unemployment. What if that unemployment rate starts ticking higher in a meaningful way? It's a much different conversation when all these things start well, to kick and in. The conversation we're going to have with Jens a little later on in the show about the currency markets and what's going on. Mac, I mean, like to me, the, the whole Japan story, so I'll save most of that headline for that, that block, um, is part of what's going on. And if you, if you think about where uh, a, a lot of the consumer has been through all this, 
jobless claims this week um, got better. We've talked about this. The, the, the reality is that the job market is tighter now than it was when the Fed started. And if you increase the participation rate the way you have over the last couple months, that's why the unemployment rate isn't down closer to 3%. So in other words, we would be at record unemployment right now if, if more people hadn't come back into the labor force. So it just means the other things we heard all week, which is that the Fed is not going anywhere. And, 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 and that not going anywhere and staying here for an extended period is something, and you have to, you have to factor that in. All right. Gold, meantime, continued to surge briefly, crossing the $2,000 market's highest level since July 31st. But can rates and the bullion keep charging higher? Let's ask Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, um, good Friday to you. Uh, what are you seeing in the charts here for gold? Sure. Before we get to it, I mean, to your conversation about the market, it really is characterized uh, the bullish year that wasn't. I mean, the Russell 3000, right, which represents 98% of the investable capital in the U.S., is up 8.9%, the index. But the median stock is down almost 7. 60% of the stocks are down. It has not been a bullish year. Hard stop. But anyway, let's go to gold and let's look at some of the charts and rates and so forth. So obviously, we're right now on the one-year anniversary. It was a Friday. It was October 21st, 2022. And rates hit a high of 4.34% before dropping all the way back down to three. And then here we are now one year later at 4.9. Look at this chart, look at the channel, and look at the second, which picks up the chart going back from the prior high. So again, one year anniversary, Friday, October 21st, here we are, Friday, October 20, uh, 4.34, and here we are at 4.91. The question is, is this sort of where uh, it, it gets overdone? I think so, um, but of course, I've been making that case and it's continued higher. I'm a buyer of bonds. Uh, plain and simple. But gold, um, look, these relationships, uh, there is this notion that, of course, well, if the dollar is so strong, why is oil going up? Oil went up when the dollar was strong. Or or now the dollar stays strong and here's, uh, these relationships are not always inverse. Sometimes they're direct. Either way, the moonshot that we've just seen, and we've moved up $186 an ounce, up 10% in 10 sessions. Um, on a short-term basis, you fade that uh, by all accounts. Uh, and if you look at all rolling 10 session moves like this, it, it usually gets a check back, a dip, a correction. The longer term structural issue, when you see it on the screen, is this. Is this ultimately this great backing and filling at those prior highs before we break out? Yes. Look at the longer term chart. The next one going back to the lows. Uh, it's a great setup for gold. So it's it's what your time frame is. If you're very short term, it's not going to just keep going at this rate. It's excessive. If you structurally believe in gold, I do. You always want to have some. And this chart tells the tale. Um, but Apple. Uh, big earnings coming up, and I think maybe we should look at that one, too, when we might have a chart. Um, uh, I'm a seller. Wow. That's straightforward. Sell Apple. <laughs> uh, Carter, I want to go back to gold for just a moment, because if you're concerned about if you are a believer in gold in the long term, but believe your call that in the short term it will pull back. What is that support level that it bounces down to? Right. And that sounds like someone who doesn't have a clue. And, and oh, I think it's going down, then up or up and down. But it's structurally Nothing's changed. Gold has been consolidating for three years, trying to ultimately break out, despite all the the, the movement. But the again, 10% in 10 sessions is a bit much. I would think you, you dip, uh, we closed at what, 197 an ounce on the high. I think you get down to 180, uh, 1800, excuse me, and, and then you'll, you'll get your bounce. 
All right, Carter, good to see you. Thanks, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Guy quickly on. Sounds gold. like he's got a bit of a frog in his throat. Uh, he's playing hurt. Poor, poor guy. <laughs> you know what? Hurt. I mean, that's what Carter does. He plays hurt. Mel does. Well, we listen, I think through. it. He powers through. I like gold. I mean, do we check back? Maybe, but every self has been less and less. The magnitudes have been smaller and smaller. I think it's going higher for a myriad of reasons. And when this institutional money kicks in, which it will. Then people are going to start talking about it. On a, I'm telling you now, on a daily basis, CNBC will be leading with OMG. Did you see what happened in gold? It's we coming should put a gold here, ticker here. in the lower right. I think well, it's exactly. Well, no, 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 no. Because then we're going to sell it off. Exactly. Yes. All right, sorry. Please not. Want to go higher. Sorry. Our next guest says he hasn't seen a yield move like this in his two-decade career. Jens Nordvig runs Exante Data and is Nomura's former head of fixed income research. Jens, always great to see you. So, you know, let's think about this. You're sitting in front of your computer. In 20 years, you haven't seen this sort of move. So in your head, what do you think about in terms of what breaks when you see this moving yield so quickly? Well, like you always keep an eye on credit, right? Is uh, the high yield starting to really impact uh, the corporate bond market? And we've seen some of that. Uh, you, you look at what's going on with the uh, global credit conditions and uh, we've started to see some, some weakness in a lot of different credit markets. So it's been an accumulation of forces and we've had some incredible moves. Even after the, the rally we've had today, right, we have an almost free sigma move on the week, even after the rally, right? So that just shows how incredible uh, big these moves have been. And it also is something that the Fed clearly has started to take into account. We've had five, six Fed speakers now make reference to the bond deals as something that actually means that they have less work to do themselves. They are taking it into account in financial conditions as well. When Powell was speaking the other day at the New York Economic Club, Jens, he was asked specifically about foreign buyers stepping away. And he sort of dismissed that notion, even though on Wall Street, charts have been going around with China stepping away. I want to read the quote um, from from. Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Buying by overseas entities has actually been pretty robust this year. So there have been some small changes, but I think by and large, by and large, they've been buying robustly, um, mm-hmm. which seems to go in the face of what many people think on Wall Street, that, you know, China's just not in the position to buy anymore. They don't have those excess reserves. Maybe politically, they don't want to do it either. And Japan is also stepping away. What do you think? So when you analyze China, right, the, the big change is that they used to be huge buyers and they're definitely not huge buyers now. Like we can talk about exactly how much they're selling, but the big change is that they're not big buyers anymore, right? So we track Chinese intervention all the time and we've had more intervention in August, more intervention in September, right? So the pace of reserve losses is maybe 30 billion a month now and some of that's going to be funded out of treasuries. So there's probably some selling there. But I think really the big picture is that supply is going up, right? We need demand to go up somewhere as well. And it's not China for sure. It's probably not Japan either, right? So really, if you look at the big picture, it's actually the domestic U.S. investors have had to come in and fill the gap. And so far, up until very recently, the T-bills yielded way more than the bonds, right? So it's much easier to park your cash in the very short end rather than go out and take duration risk. Now that's kind of corrected, but essentially U.S. investors, households even, have been helping to fill that gap, and they've been doing it mainly through T-bills. And uh, that's a part of the big reason why the, the long end of the curve they had to kind of come up at a better, better yield point to suck in demand. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens when the yield curve has a positive slope. Is the demand dynamic going to start to shift? I don't think we've seen it yet, but that's one of the indicators we're watching right here.
Yeah, and, and, and I, I mean, I, to me, it's all about supply. It's also about a Treasury, U.S. Treasury, that I, I think was trying to hang into the short end of the curve, the T-bill issuance versus the 10-year. And we've said this. I mean, this is a Fed uh, or essentially a government that's, that's actually um, borrowing uh, at, at, at really low rates and having to pay back and lock in at much higher rates. But that let's go back. Let's go to your, your namesake and go to the, the currency markets. Yen kisses 150 today. Um, I, I would make an argument that part of the move in Treasury yields could be even less Japanese participation. But it, it almost perversely, this carry trade is almost more attractive than ever when you look at the yield spread between the U.S. and Japan. But where are you on Japan, I guess, is where I'm rambling here. I, it just seems to me this is the next train wreck. And I think Japanese yields are the trigger to take U.S. yields up significantly higher. Yes, yeah, so all the markets are connected, right? So uh, what happens in, in Europe matters to, to U.S. yields. What happens in Japan happens to U.S. yields. And Japanese investors have been massive buyers of treasuries over the years, right? The fact that the JGB yield is now edging pretty close to 1% uh, in the 10-year and above 1%, further out the curve is something that means that the Japanese investors don't have to come. So it's definitely going to have an impact, right? And uh, we can certainly worry that we're going to have another relaxation in their yield curve control, right? So we don't have any anchor anymore. And that could be a factor for the U.S. Treasury market for sure. The one point I want to make, though, is that the U.S. bond market is not like its own thing. Like, what is going on with long-end yield is intricately connected to what's going on in the short end of the yield curve. You can just see it today, right? The whole curve resets lower in tandem. It's not just the bond market doing something on its own. It's the whole curve, right? If the market could get comfortable that the Fed is done, then it's going to impact short yields and long yields. And that will be the most important force. And I'm not saying it will totally mean that the supply dynamics are not important. But it's going to be the most important driving variable, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. If the economy is weaker, if inflation is under control, the short end is going to dictate and be the most important force for the long end as well. Jens, thank you. Jens Norvig of Exante. Have a great weekend. Um, so there is hope that yields won't move higher, Karen. But what do you think? It certainly feels like they're going to move higher, right? I didn't just, And also we talked the other night about this vicious cycle of, the higher rates are, the higher the government has to pay to issue, the more debt they need to issue. Yeah. If yields move, ask yourself what would be the causation for yields to move lower right now. It's because probably, again, the marketplace is going to U.S. Treasuries because something broke, flight to quality, which means in our world, it's not good. Equity, almost by definition, if yields are lower, the equity market is lower. The yields go lower. And credit and spreads. And credit spreads blown out. out. And HYG when goes down. When you say yields go lower, you mean like significantly lower, because right now we, ha we see a little breather in yields and equities find relief as well. Eight bait, well, a breather in yields. I'm talking about a move to four. If we go down to four and a half percent in three right. trading days, okay. it's because something broke in the equity yeah. market. Trust me, people will say, oh, that's a great, it's not a good thing. In my opinion, it's not a good thing. Coming up, a major data breach sending Okta shares tumbling late in the day. The details and the ripple effect on cloud and software stocks right after the break. Plus, a solar stock smackdown. SolarEdge plunging nearly 30% after giving investors stormy guidance. We'll dive into the numbers that have the sun-powered name stuck in the shade. Fast Money's back right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. 
What can you do with Spy? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. Spy is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. A news alert now on Okta. Shares dropping sharply late in the day after the cybersecurity firm said unidentified hackers accessed files within its customer support system. The company noting, though, that its customer production offerings were not impacted by this breach. The stock closing near the lows of the day down by nearly uh, more than 11.5%. From cloud to software, Oracle also under pressure today, dropping just shy of 6%. Its worst day in more than a month. It was the biggest laggard in the IGV software ETF, which also slid 2.5%. Karen, you're still short this one? IGV? Yes. Yes, I am. I mean, it's it's sort of a rate thing also, right? They've just moved conversely. Not today. uh, It was down a lot, but in general, yeah, Yeah. staying short. Oracle didn't seem like there was much news. They had an AI, AI sort of executive thing. forum. You know, and they talked about wins and partnerships with and NVIDIA since, and other people. And it's interesting because Evercore on October 9th upgraded the stock $135 price target, and probably a number of reasons, valuation being one of them. They have a move like this. You're in the zone now where people are selling first, asking questions later. But what does that mean? Again, I don't want to beat up NVIDIA. NVIDIA's gone from 516 that after hours when you know, people were talking about trillions and trillions of dollars worth of total addressable market. Now it's 420 in the course of, what, a month or so. So it goes down pretty quick. Is the move over in NVIDIA, though, is the whole AI craze in terms of valuations that bloom off the rose? To a certain extent, that Oracle move could tell you that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's down 20% from its all-time high that it made just a couple months ago after they reported uh, a better-than-expected Q4. They were talking up basically their, their cloud and the demand for it and, and the excess demand and the share that they're likely to take against some of the other hyperscalers and the services that they're offering with new AI. And, uh, listen, the, the fever's broken here. I mean, like that's, I think, what Guy's saying about NVIDIA a little bit here. And so for this stock to be down 20%, trades it 18 times. This is not an expensive stock. It trades at a market multiple, um, but they just don't have the goods as it relates to it. And I think we're going to see a lot of that, whether it's across software, whether it's across some of these semiconductors who've been talking a really big game for the last six to nine months. So to me, um, I, I think this encapsulates a lot of this bear market that we're talking about that's going on under the hood. Take away those 10 stocks that have driven a lot of this performance and we have a market that looks a lot like 2022, to be honest with you. Well, I, th- I think it, when you, I think you have to include software, though, and, I, and, and because I think these these names have been booming as well, and they were almost the next ones to catch fire, and and they're breaking down, and they can't grow at, at five to ten percent. I mean, based upon what you're hearing, and certainly in Okta or CrowdStrike, and, and the thing with Okta is they had already had a couple management meetings before the lead up to this, where they had kind of started to kind of balance growth uh, and 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 just cutting costs and being you know more efficient, which is not really where you want to be with these names. So, um, I, look, I, I, I think you're going to see software has room to sell off even more. And you look at that chart on CRM, it's, it's not a great chart. Uh, and, and I do think if the market's continuing lower and you follow your semis, because if semis are selling off, software's going to sell off more. All right, there's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Lights out on the solar shares. 
Why is it a dark, cloudy day for this group? Our panel on the solar panel stocks, next. Plus, the busiest week of earnings is ahead. Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Meta all set to report results. Stick around. We'll bring you the options action on these names. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. A gloomy forecast cratering shares of Solar Edge. The solar product manufacturer warned demand in Europe was significantly weakened. Other names in the space getting dragged down as well. Enphase Energy, SunPower and Sunrun deep in the red. Um, you alerted us to this. The reasons in terms of the weakness in Europe and, and the lack of access to capital mm-hmm. for its users of yes. the microinverters. That was interesting. Right. I mean, this was a gigantic a gigantic guide lower. So obviously when you have a huge revenue miss, 20% down, you're going to have an enormous gross margin miss. You're going to have an earnings miss. It's bad, bad, bad. And it doesn't seem like it's over. Mm -mm. So it's very hard to model. What's it going to be? And it, it did seem very specific, though, Europe. But it didn't matter. That that easily crossed the shores, and uh, you know our sector was uh, hit as well as it should be, I guess. Um, I I own this action from before it was public. Sold it a while ago. It then tripled after I sold it. Um, it, it. It hasn't been at this valuation for a while, but it's hard to step in right here. Certainly, at least a three-day rule if you wanted to buy it. I don't want to buy it though. Yeah. It seems like partly a specific solar edge issue, but also a, just a broader industry issue in terms For of sure needing the financing. I mean, they're t- talking about installers and distributors not having access to that financing. And that is going to be widespread, particularly for the ones more facing the residential sector. Um, consumers usually finance the installation of their panels, and that's more of a problem. It, you know? it's, it's a financing issue both uh, on the, you know, essentially on the enterprise level and also mm-hmm. on the consumer level in terms of the buyer. It's also a, a question of really where yields, where some of these businesses may Makes sense. Yeah. It's another one of these. Let's let's reassess what makes uh, what's what's a profitable business at five percent Fed funds. Seven analysts come out, cut their numbers. Thanks for your help. The average price target is down to it was two thirty nine prior to today. Wow. It's one eighty nine now. That is the average price target according to facts that now. So the analyst community is still way off sides in this name. Interesting what you're saying. So consumer financing, right? That's important to get these things yeah. up on your roof. Well, what did Elon spend a lot of time on his conference interest call the other day yes. on interest and rates? And, and, basically, about but, and he also owns a solar company, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't Tesla have a solar yeah, company? Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, didn't <laughs> I, I don't know. But, is, but, is but what I'm saying is, is like, yeah. yeah. Kimball? His brother or something? I think, his cousin? Oh, his cousin or something like that. I read the Brother. book. 
Anyway, go ahead. Reeves. This is bro. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, like, listen, the, you know, we had Steve Eisman on yes, a couple weeks yes, ago. Exactly. And what, what did Steve say? It's, it's like things that you don't need to finance, the consumer's doing okay with right. buying, right? But the things that you need to finance, and that's the thing that's going to be volatile. So here exactly. you go. Coming up, we are gearing up for a titanic slate of tech earnings next week. We'll tell you how options traders are playing Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, and more. Plus, are Gen X retirement plans wrecked? We'll pull back the curtain on some very alarming numbers and what you can do to make sure your golden years stay golden. More Fast Money coming up. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks ending the week lower. It comes as a 10-year yield hovers around 5% for the first time since 2007. The Dow falling almost 300 points. The S&P and Nasdaq both down more than 1%. Meantime, Bitcoin bouncing alongside the grayscale Bitcoin trust. The cryptocurrency briefly topping $30,000 on renewed hopes the SEC will finally approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. I feel like we've been saying that for years, years. <laughs> Apple, meantime, dealing with a problem as it ends the week in the red. The tech giant parting ways with Jon Stewart in his Apple TV show, The Problem. Reports say Apple and, creative, and Stewart had creative differences over the content of his show. CNBC's Steve Kovac is here with why Stewart pulled the plug and why a show tackling hot button issues proved so troublesome for Apple. Steve. Yeah, this, this is an interesting one, Melissa. So the New York Times reporting Stewart walked away from the show after planning to do segments on topics like China and artificial intelligence. But according to the report, Apple pushed back on those topics and tried to exert editorial control over the show. And Stewart, well, he decided he'd rather cancel the season instead of cave to Apple's demands. This is the latest example of Apple appeasing China, and we know why. It's home to most of its supply chain and, depending on the year or the quarter, as much as 20 percent of sales. This was especially apparent about 11 months ago when COVID lockdowns in China led to the iPhone factory workers protesting and facing violent pushback from security forces. Apple said at the time it was monitoring the situation, but after that, nothing but silence from Apple. That event caused Apple to post declining sales for the holiday quarter last year, which had rippling effects throughout the rest of the fiscal year. Now, we're expecting Apple to report the fourth quarter in a row of declining sales in a couple weeks. Meantime, CEO Tim Cook was in China this week visiting suppliers and customers as the company faces falling demand in that country for its newest line of iPhones, Melissa. What's the context here, Steve, in terms of the problem and viewership? Was this... A big show. I mean, when I first read the article, I mean, I was a big fan of John Stewart when he did the Daily right. Show. But I thought, you know, maybe this show just didn't gain traction. He just was like, you know what, I'm going to walk away. And this is a great headline for him. Say, yeah. I'm, I'm a defender of free speech here. Yeah, it's a great headline for Stewart. And I guarantee or I can't guarantee, but I would imagine we'll hear from John Stewart sooner than later. He's not one to stay silent about this. But it's not really about a ratings thing or even a profitability thing with Apple TV Plus when it comes to this, uh, Melissa, it's, it, they're, they're chasing clout, right? So they had the Oscar winner with CODA. They love saying how many Emmy nominations they get. And this show had five Emmy, Emmy nominations over that two-year uh, run that it's had so far. So it's not like it was a dud or people weren't watching. Mm -hmm. There were some great segments that actually that he did that actually kind of broke through. There was one on transgender youth that a lot of people got a lot of people talking about. So, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily a bad show or an unwatched show. And it was winning those nominations. All right. Steve, thanks. Sure thing. Steve Kovac. 
Dan, I know you have a lot to say on this touch well, subject. Listen, I was going to say, you know, Elon should give him a ring and let him do his show on Twitter. But the only problem there is that Elon would have the exact same problem with China if John Stewart went on the Twitter, right? If you think about it, you think about, you know, a guy like Elon's reliance on China for manufacturing, for the consumer demand. Mm-hmm. Um, they just put these graphite export controls. They need those to go into the batteries, so rare earth materials to go. So my point is there's a lot of people who are really conflicted. Usually they're large multinational corporations sure. right now, right? But as a shareholder, you want the big company to pull back the ring. I mean, to pull the ring. Look, on, I mean, Nike. Nike's really- another example of companies that decided to, to, you know, avoid, you know, really controversial stuff. Or, and, and by the way, they. I should take that back. I think they made some 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 difficult stands. But um, it's just interesting because Apple at times has been so righteous about protecting the identity. And, and really, they, they seem to stand for a lot of these things that, that really, I would think, free speech fits right in there with and the ability to communicate and not being held hostage by a place where, frankly, the, the rule of law and the and human rights and a lot of big issues are big problems. And, and this is what I mean, John Stewart's always been this way. He's been socially critical and he's been funny at doing it. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm not sure why they even engaged in this kind of a uh, of a production with him if in fact they were worried about this but again i think of apple as the company that gets really high and mighty about protecting its users and and that's great and that's why people love apple but you know this to me also seems like uh, counter to that it seems like a company that's trying to be very controlling it's expensive stock they report on november 2nd you said this a couple after apple announced they were banning apple devices and employees said what happens if they do a shadow ban which absolutely could happen. I mean, none of that's particularly good. Forget about all that stuff. In this environment, back all that out. It's still an expensive stock with decree. I mean, the last three quarters have been disappointing. Single-digit EPS growth, single-digit revenue growth, trading it probably now with the sell-off 27 times next year's numbers. Doesn't make sense. I understand there's a moral high ground. I understand these companies have the power to enact change. But as a shareholder, you don't want Apple doing anything right. that's going to offend the Chinese government. And I'm going to put this out there, too. If Disney were asked by the Chinese government to take down all your Winnie the Pooh content, because there was that whole thing about Xi Jinping being compared to Winnie the Pooh, and he did not like that because Winnie the Pooh, as you know, is a rotund bear. <laughs> I wonder what Disney would do. They put would, him- Disney, would Disney put at risk? You know, all the movie releases in China, it's theme parks, et cetera. Do you want them to take the moral high ground or take Winnie the Pooh? Sounds like you're putting Disney on the spot here. Winnie the Pooh on Ozempic would be the, that would be like the the tie up of a generation, right? I I think actually it it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. And I don't think it's so crazy for a company to say, we're going to, we're going to cater to local tastes, right? Mm -hmm. Not everyone wants what Americans want. So if he's their leader and that, and so if he says, I hate Winnie the Pooh, Millions of other people probably say they hate Winnie the Pooh, and maybe it won't be such a, that that doesn't trouble me as, as such. As, uh, if I were, would, no, but, but to your point, be- I mean, like the villains in these spy novels are no longer Chinese, right? Like because there's a billion two, you know, citizens over there that uh, our studios want to sell these movies to. No, that's just a fact. You no, know no, what I mean? I, I guess, it's like I'm, so. I'm, I'm getting frustrated by this topic because I think you know if we're not willing to, to tell the truth about companies and countries yeah. and things, it's a problem. And if this is the biggest company in the world, and there, it's, I mean, I'm not going to call it censorship, but I mean, what is it? If you don't like the message of somebody who you've hired who's a creative force and has got a big audience and is very outspoken, and that's why people love them, it's just, you know, I don't think this is what we want in this country. I don't think we want people telling us what we can say or what we can watch. 
I dig Eeyore, by the way. The donkey. Eeyore. Yeah, it's sort of sad. <laughs> you can, I mean, you, you relate to you him. See you relate okay. to them. Dower. We, we go. <laughs> Coming up, don't let today's lackluster move fool you. Big Tech is on deck to report earnings next week, and it's looking like it could be a volatile t- uh, ride. We'll help you hedge with options next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Four out of the so-called Magnificent Seven are set to report earnings next week, and it could be a bumpy ride. Options on Microsoft signal an implied move of 4%. Google a little higher at 4.7%. Amazon's around 6%. And Meta's up there at more than 8%. Let's bring in Mike Coe. If you were to use options on one of these names, Mike, which one would it be? How would you do it? Yeah, I would take a look at Amazon. I think, obviously, this is sort of an economic bellwether in a couple of respects. Obviously, the cloud spend is one of the things people are going to be keeping their eyes on. And if you look out to December, the move could actually be much bigger than the 6% that they've implied. The December 125, 105 put spread, that would cost just a little over 5 bucks. So you're spending just about 4% of the current stock price on a hedge that kicks in effectively right where the stock is right now and will last you uh, several weeks. Dan, what do you think of this trade? Yeah, I think that makes sense. It might call it a hedge, too. When you think about the volatility in the stock over the last few months, they had that gap up on earnings, and it really wasn't about AWS. It was about those operating margins that they had in the retail, and people were excited about that. But then the thing fell off a cliff. Now people are, again, concerned about the deceleration uh, in AWS. So to me, I think it makes sense to hedge this stock, especially as it's right near like four-month lows or something like that. And again, you know, uh, investors are shooting first, asking questions later. What's interesting is, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at Microsoft and Apple um, when they had those really significant moves right down to the 100, at the, the, kind of the first leg down of this market move lower. And, and, and those downtrends are very much alive. And, and it's pretty interesting because, I mean, Microsoft's downtrend from that point, not as steep as Apple's. And again, nothing to, to, to lose sleep over, probably within 5% of all-time highs. Having said that, uh, again, these are the stocks that it's not going to take a lot, I think, to weaken sentiment that right now is, is, looks vulnerable. Yeah, Meta implied move of eight percent. Karen, what do you? Uh, that's that, big. That's pretty big. It un- is unusual. pretty big. Yes, it, uh, I know that that one is, it worries me a little because it's had obviously an enormous run off mm-hmm. a super low. Um, so I don't know. My uh, magnificent seven, if we have to call it that, exposure is Meta and Alphabet is the biggest by a lot. Then Amazon and Netflix. Um, so I, they're all going to trade together, though. After the first one, whatever it is, then they got to hopefully differentiate themselves if the first one's bad. (laughs) We'll see. Real quick on Facebook, small business ads, one has to wonder in this environment, as the Russell, the IWM, the micro caps have sold off, does that augur poorly for Facebook? That's going to be fascinating when they report. I'll be watching, no doubt, sitting amongst you good people. You know what, you do do look a little bit like Eeyore. (laughs) What does that even mean? I mean, what does that even mean? It looks like a donkey is what you're saying. Just the way. We could probably get an ER up there pretty quick. No time for ER. All right. So thank you. Coming up after every boom, there's usually a bust. Case in point, while baby boomers are loving retired life, Generation X is shockingly behind on saving for their golden years. We'll bring you the details and the potential fixes when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Generation Broke, a new report shows Gen X households are failing to meet retirement savings targets, and they're not even close. CNBC senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson is here to take us inside those numbers, and they are shocking, Sharon. Well, Marissa, they certainly are. A recent report by the National Institute on Retirement Security finds the typical Gen X household only has $40,000 in retirement savings in private accounts. 
So it should be no surprise that Gen Xers who are around 43 to 58 years old, like most of the folks around that table, are most likely more than any other generation to feel like they're behind with their retirement savings. Rising costs of higher education and healthcare, student loan debt, as well as caring for children and aging parents are some of the financial hurdles that are weighing heavily on the sandwich generation. Now, some Gen Xers also may be missing out on ways to save more money, like fully funding your 401k up to $30,000 if you're 50 or older, taking advantage of a Roth 401k so you won't have to pay taxes on withdrawals in retirement, or making an after-tax 401k contribution, saving up to $66,000 in 2023, or $73,500 if you're 50 or older. Now, the IRS hasn't officially announced 401k contribution limits for 2024 yet, but they are expected to go up. Melissa. Sharon, I was wondering if this generation is also, if they have the most debt. I mean, they're, they're at a period in their lives, as you mentioned, they're the sandwich generation, so they've got a lot of bills on both sides to pay in addition to what they are facing. And now, in terms of interest rates, um, that debt is just getting bigger and bigger, even if they don't spend anymore. So many, so many people do not have an emergency fund, and that credit card becomes the de facto emergency fund for many people, particularly in this generation. And so you have the credit card debt. On top of that, a lot of people think it's younger folks with student loan debt. There are many people in their 40s and 50s that are still paying back student loans as well, either for their children or loans they've taken out for themselves. So you're right. The debt levels are also something that is weighing on a lot of folks in Gen X. The student loan repayment, Sharon, you know, a lot of people are saying people are, are facing this, but there's actually a grace period, isn't there? I mean, if you had the choice between repaying a student loan or just sort of putting that on hold during that grace period and paying down a credit card that has 25 percent, you know, interest, it seems like the credit card is a no brainer. Absolutely. I mean, you want to get that high interest debt out of the way first. And a lot of folks are not focusing on what the debt is right now. When you got that credit card, what the rate was and what it is now a few years later is probably astronomically higher than you had anticipated. So we are talking about 25% interest on a lot of credit cards, some new cards closer to 30% interest. Um, so you really want to pay close attention to what you're paying to continue to hold on to that debt and get that out of the way. Sharon, thank you so much. Sharon Epperson. Sure. This is a message that people need to hear. Guy, what was what you said yesterday? It seems really applicable, really fitting for today. Sage, about the tree. maybe. The best time, best time to plant a tree was 20. This is not me. This is like a proverb. Yes, but I, yes, I'm yes, using it as yes. 20 years ago. Next best time today. So if you're thinking about doing it, there's no place like now to start. Yep. Quick programming note here on Tuesday, personal finance expert Susie Orman will be joining us here on set. So you won't want to miss this one. Up next, final trades. I don't usually do this at the top here. We have very special guests in the audience. Extremely uh, special yeah. guests. The whole Nathan clan practically. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, clap, uh, clap for me. Parents, brothers, yeah. sisters, sisters the everybody whole jam. Whole, whole jam. Final trade time, Tim. Staples, uh, starting to slowly outperform. In fact, outperformed the S&P by 4% recently. Stay there. Karen. Yes, GBTC. If you were in it because the, pre the discount rather was gigantic, which it was when the crypto freeze happened, it's not gigantic anymore. It's much smaller. Risk reward isn't as compelling. Sell it. 
Dan. My parents have seen 99% of the fast monies I've been on over the last 13 years. So shout out to them. And QQQ, <laughs> I'd still be a seller. Biggest fans. Mrs. Guys. Barbara DeHaven hasn't missed a show in 17 years in San Francisco. Hi. Wow. wow. Oh, Amazing. Nice. GDX. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Have a great weekend. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Hi, Nathan family. (laughs) (laughs) All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.